Well, let me invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 8, or turn on your Bibles, or pull one out of the pew rack in front of you, or there'll be, uh, the words of the scriptures will be up on the screen, so you can follow along there as we look at this moment in the ministry of Jesus in Luke chapter 8, starting at verse 22, and as we open the scriptures, let's open our hearts to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to us. We know that you're our center. You're our hope and our salvation. And so we pray that you, would, that you would open our hearts to receive your word in a way that changes our lives. That we can understand who you are and trust you more deeply and serve you with greater passion to the glory of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. The church said, Amen. Amen. Luke 8 at verse 22. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters the storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Jesus asked a lot more questions than he answered. In fact, if you read along in the Gospels, he's always asking questions. He's rarely answering them. Some say he asked 10 times the amount of questions that he answered, depending on how you kind of measure things out. And why did he ask so many questions? He would ask these questions that would sort of rattle people, these sort of pointed questions that would get them thinking, would change their, their minds. They were actually disorienting questions. But they were disorienting in order to reorient the person that Jesus was talking to, to get them back on track. So we're looking at these great questions, uh, this summer series, looking at some of these ways that Jesus rattled the cage. And and these great questions are also a great encouragement because they remind us that God cares about us being sort of lost and wandering away. God cares to guide us. God cares to put us back on track. And so he asks us, Great questions. And today, we're looking at this great question. Where is your, what? Faith. Just checking that you're with me. So here's how our conversation went down with a a dear family member of mine recently who said to me, Tim, uh, that's an important event in her life. You should make sure to send a card. Right. So I said to this family member, you're exactly right. I should send a card. That is an important event. Could you maybe send me a text or an email just to remind me? (laughs) You know, just just so I don't forget to send the card because it is an important event and you're right. And this family member said, "Uh, I'm not going to do that. You're going to remember to send the card. And I said, you're putting a lot of faith in me. You know, you're putting a lot of faith in me to remember that. Sometimes I forget things. And here's what this person said. They looked at me and said, no, Tim, not you. I know who you're married to. (laughs) You'll send the card. (laughs) 
See, the, the faith was there. It just wasn't in me. It was in, it was in the woman that I married too, which is fine. And names have been withheld to protect the innocent. But let, the, the question isn't, do you have faith? We all live by faith. We've got faith in all kinds of things. I mean, to live life in this world, we live by faith. Even just, imagine just a simple thing like driving down the road. You believe the road is still there after the turn, even though you don't see that road. You don't see what's over the hill, but you're just, you're going on faith. You believe in things that you cannot see. That's how we live life. There's actually no other way to live life but to live life by faith. So I'm not asking, do you have faith? The question is, where is your faith? What are you putting your faith in? What is the object of your faith? Have you put your faith in something that's dependable, in something that will carry through, in something that's reliable? Where is your faith? Listen, if your faith is in the wrong place, you will suffer. If your faith is in the wrong person, you will suffer. When your faith is in anything other than Jesus, your future is limited. Where is your faith? In the middle of Luke, we read this account, verse 22, one day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. Simple enough. Jesus says, let's do something, they do it. That's a picture of how our life with Jesus should always be, right? So that's a great start. And, and boats were an easy way to get around. They were quick transportation, much quicker to take a boat across the lake than to try to walk around it. And these men, they were used to getting into boats. They knew how to handle these boats, so no problem. Off we go. And that's your first picture of faith in this little story, getting in the boat with Jesus. But when you are in the boat with Jesus, anything can happen. You know, getting into a boat is an all-in or all-out kind of a thing. You don't want to get halfway into a boat. Think very bad stuff happens when you've got one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat. And even worse when there's no boat, like I'm doing for you right here. So I, sometimes I wonder if that's why there are so many boat stories in Jesus' ministry. Just because that itself, that itself is a picture. You've got to decide, are you all in? Or are you all out? And Jesus says, get into the boat. And they get into the boat. And that's your first picture of faith. Verse 23, as they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. Jesus, you see, sleeps in the storm. He sleeps in the storm. I take great encouragement from that. Because you know what that tells us who Jesus is? Jesus is someone who is never out of control. Jesus is someone who is never overcome with anxiety. Jesus is someone who is never wringing his hand, worried about what's coming next. Jesus sleeps in the boat, in a storm, in the lake. He's not worried. Friends, that's your second little, little vignette, little picture of faith. The first one is getting in the boat. The second one is, do you know what faith looks like? It looks like Jesus asleep in the boat, in the lake, in the storm. But his disciples have a different take on the storm. Look at verse 24. 
The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to what? To drown. We're going to drown. Now, we shouldn't underestimate the storm and its seriousness. This was a real storm. The gospel writer Luke is a, he's a serious intellect and he wrote his gospel by doing interviews and checking his sources and checking his references and all that stuff. He would have gone out and, and, and checked with the experts. Was this seriously a real storm or were they just exaggerating for the sake of you know, telling a good story? And, uh, and he would have found out, yeah, this was real. And the disciples themselves, these were not landlubbers. These were boat-faring people. They were used to using these, these little vessels. Some of them were fishermen. They worked these boats day after day, most of their lives. So they knew when it was real. And Luke tells us this was a great storm. And they were in grave danger. Listen, grave danger is when you're in danger of winding up in the grave. Just checking, just checking. That's pastor joke 101. Just checking that you're with me. They're in grave danger. And this is real. And what's the first thing that a group of fishermen and, and boat-faring people are going to do when the storm comes up? They're going to manage the storm. They're going to pilot the ship. They're going to assess the situation and measure their resources and apply what they've got to make a difference and keep themselves alive. They are going to manage the situation. And they're going to do it with their own resources. This is your third picture of faith. Faith in what you can do. Faith in what you've got. Faith in your resources to change the scene. And we do that all the time, don't we? I mean, when the crisis comes along, when the storm comes, that's where we, we assess our, 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 man, our situation. We stay in control. If I'm out of control, what do I want to be? I want to be in control. And so we, we're just going to take everything that we've got around us to use our skills and our abilities to manage the situation. We say, hey, yeah, call AAA. That's why we're members, right? Say, hey, call the insurance. That's why we've got insurance. Don't worry about it. We've, my uncle's a doctor. We'll get a second opinion. Don't worry about it. We're in control, right? We're in control. How long, how long did the disciples suffer managing the situation of their own accord? Because the last thing on their list of things to do was wake the rabbi. They're in the boat. They're managing the situation. They're trying to get across this lake through the storm. The very last thought in their mind would be wake the religious leader which you know is a little insulting for some of us, you know? I mean, I, we, us preachers, we've got some technical capabilities too, you know? I know how to do stuff. I can change oil in my own car. I just choose not to. <laughs> wake the rabbi. Wake the rabbi was way down on the list. And wake the carpenter was lower still. How long did they suffer before somebody in the boat said, maybe we should wake Jesus? Maybe we should go to the Lord. Maybe we should wake Jesus and see what he has to say about the situation. See, they were confident in their own devices until they weren't. And watch what happens. They believed more in themselves than in Jesus. And so when they turned to him, this is what they say. Verse 24, the disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. 
They don't wake Jesus. I want you to see this. They don't wake him and say, look what's going on. What should we do? They wake Jesus and they tell him the future. Jesus, let me tell you the future. Now, how can these, these disciples predict the future? When their faith is in their own resources, they have confidence to predict the future. Why? Because when your faith is in the wrong thing, your future is limited. When your faith is in the wrong thing, your future is limited. And so they wake Jesus, and they say, we're in control, and we know the situation. We know these storms, we know these boats, we know the capabilities we have, and we know the experiences that we've seen. We are going to drown. When your faith is in the wrong thing, your future's limited. Don't you want to know what it's like to have your faith in Jesus? Finally, they turned to him. And what did Jesus do? Verse 24 again, he got up and he said, yeah, we're going to drown. <laughs> you guys are right. No. He got up and he rebuked the wind. He talked to the wind like it was a spoiled brat kid. He rebuked the waves. He said, you're done with that. You're finished with that. You sit down and be quiet. He talked to the wind. He talked to the waves. They listened to him. And all was calm. And all was calm. Listen, do you want to talk to Jesus about your problems or do you want Jesus to talk to your problems? Sometimes we want a, we want a counselor, we want a friend, but what we really need is for Jesus to stand up and speak. Because you know what happened right there? The future changed because Jesus was involved. They knew the future, we're going to drown. But when Jesus is involved, when Jesus speaks, when your faith is in Jesus, then your future is unlimited. You don't know what he's going to do next, and you, you don't know what power he has to make everything different at the drop of a hat. Jesus stood up and he spoke. And then he turned to his disciples, and here comes our great question. Verse 25, where is your faith? He asked the disciples, where is your faith? He doesn't ask it to make them feel bad. He doesn't ask it to berate them or to, to put a layer of shame on them as though they'd done something wrong. Jesus isn't like that. That's not who he is. But look at this teachable moment that he's got. He has just stood up and changed their lives. He has just stood up and changed their future. He's changed everything with a word. And now he turns to them and he says, hey, Hey, where is your faith? Where are you putting your faith? Are you sure that you still want to have all your faith in your own resources and capabilities? Are you sure that you still want to have all your faith in what you can do? Are you sure that the only thing you want to see in your future is what you can accomplish under your own accord? Are you sure that you want to be limited by your own agency and your own ability to make things different in the world? Didn't that just leave you a little short? Jesus asked them, where is your faith? He's moving his disciples from fear to faith. He says, do you really want to live in that kind of fear? Do you really want to live in that kind of anxiety that you were just experiencing? Where is your faith? Where's your faith? 
False objects of faith creep into our lives all the time, even as, as believers, even as followers of Christ. In Christian terms, we call them idols, an idol. An idol is anything that we worship or believe in or rely on that isn't God. Sometimes they're good things, but they become idols in our lives. I heard a sad story recounted by Pastor Chip Ingram a few weeks ago. He tells a story about a Christian friend that he had who was a billionaire wedge fund manager and they were part of a church plant together in, in metro Atlanta and, and they were in it together and, and a lot of this was happening because this guy had so many resources to bring to the table and he was so into what God was doing and, and things were really getting to be different and, and uh, he was, his generosity was making a difference and then all of a sudden this friend disappeared. They couldn't find him for a week and finally they located him in his cabin up in the mountains of Georgia. And what had happened, they came to find out, was that his head fund had, had tilted down and it was losing value, it was declining fast. And instead of being open about it, he lied about it, he covered it up, it was illegal. And they found him in his cabin with a, a discharged shotgun and a note on the table. And all the note said was, I'm sorry I let everybody down. Now what had happened? What had happened? This Christian man involved in good things for Jesus. This Christian man. He'd allowed something to creep into his life. Something that he was resting his soul on. Something he was leaning over onto. Something that was never meant to bear the weight of an eternal human soul. He was trusting in something other than Jesus. He was trusting, and you know what it was? He was trusting in his, in his wealth. But not just his wealth. Not just, you know, um, amount. He was trusting in who it made him. His identity was wrapped up in it and, and he'd come to believe somehow that his value, his identity, his meaning, even his value to the people who loved him the most was what he could make different with his checkbook. And when it all came falling down, it simply wasn't enough. Friends, where is your faith? I want to give you a few questions this morning to think about, kind of a checklist, just for all of us to ask, has something crept into my life that I'm hanging on to, that I'm leaning on, and, and too much, I'm giving too much of myself to this? You see, a lot of these questions, they come from a, a book that Tim Keller wrote called Counterfeit Gods. I recommend that book. I recommend from time to time taking a book like that and doing an assessment in your life. Where is my faith? What am I leaning on? Here are the questions. I just want you to think about what comes to mind in your life when I read these questions to you. Number one, what is the last thing on your mind when you go to sleep? Number two, what is the first thing you check in on in the morning when you wake? Number three, where do you derive your meaning and identity? You're like, oh, that's a lot of who I am right there. Number four, what can set you off what can set you off in an uncontrollable rage or an unusual despondency? It can make you feel very depressed. You know, it's things that, that can sort of just, they're in us and they hit that emotional third rail. They surprise us. That's an indicator. It's an indicator something has crept into your life. What do you fear the most? What do you believe you could not live without? Literally, you would rather die to lose it. What gives you unmanageable feelings of guilt? shame these things might be taking up too much space in your heart 
And Jesus says, where? Where is your faith? There are a lot of answers to these questions for all of us. Maybe a few things have come to mind, you know. Maybe it's work, your job. You come to realize, oh, a lot of my identity is in, in what I'm doing for my career, what's on my, my card or what's, what's under my name on my email. People know who I am by what I do. Do you know when you're going to find out that you've made an idol out of your work? About four to six weeks into retirement. That's when. And a lot of you are laughing nervously and others are laughing knowingly. Because listen, just grab somebody in this church who's been through it and they'll tell you, oh my gosh, I had no idea so much of me was wrapped up in that. I'd forgotten how to just be Tim, child of God. I was this, this work identity. Is it work? Is it money? Hey, money's never enough. There's never this place where it's enough. It's never, you're never going to hit that mark and say, yep, there it is. That's enough. It never lets you get there. It's always a little bit more, a little bit here, a little bit over there, just a little further, just a little further. It'll always leave you short. Is it your body? Is it your physical body? Listen, is it, is it sex? Hey, we, we keep these sermons PG around here. You'll appreciate that. But listen, for many of us, the, you know, the, the physical body, using our, our bodies and the physical pleasures, there's so much wrapped up in that. I think if I ever lost that, I'd never know what to do with my life. And there's no end to the workouts and the diets and the surgeries and the different things and the pills. You can just keep going and going and going. Listen, your body, time is going to catch up with your physical body. There was a big amen out of that earlier, in the, earlier this morning. It's just a reality, folks. It doesn't matter how much you throw at it, how, much, how many doctors you want to throw this direction or whatever you want to buy. Time is going to catch up with your physical body. And the great things that God gave you this body to do and all these things that you can do with your physical body, it's, your physical body is going to start narrowing the possibilities. That's just the way of life. Have you put too much weight on that? You know, sometimes, and even for kids, we get addicted to the success track. We're in school and we're going to the next thing, the next mark to get the college application together. And that college application goes off and then it comes back, the letter comes back and it says, we don't have a place for you at that dream school. What are you gonna do? You've put too much weight on one single thing. Or it can be your online identity for a lot of kids. Your social media person who's out there and all of a sudden you're getting trolled or you're getting bullied online and you don't know how to fix that. I don't know how to recover that. You don't know if you can survive without this reputation you've got on social media. Where is your faith? Because listen to me now. When your faith is in, is in anything other than Jesus, your future is limited and you're putting your faith in a false God, a false object of faith. And here's how idols work. They demand greater and greater sacrifice for lesser and lesser return because it's hard to get enough of what almost satisfies. And the idol says, it's just over the next bridge. It's just past the next sacrifice. It's just over the next hill. That's where satisfaction is. That's where you're going to actually feel the satisfaction of this. It's just over the next sacrifice. And you keep sacrificing and sacrificing and it never lets you get home because it's hard to get enough of what almost satisfies. Hey, Jesus says, where is your faith? He doesn't say it to make you feel bad. He doesn't make, 
say it to make you feel like you've, you've messed up or, or you, you've, you, you've failed in some way. Why does Jesus say that? He says, where is your faith? Because he wants you to be free. If your faith is in anything other than him, you're resting on a false god. And before you know it, you're chasing that never enough, never enough, and the chain has, has formed around your neck, and you don't know how to be free. And Jesus says it's simple. You turn to me. You don't believe in that. You put your faith in me. You turn to me. I'm the only one who's proven that he can hold a life. I'm the only one who has proven that he can carry you through, straight through the storm and straight through the end of life and into life eternal. You put your faith in me. Because if you put your faith in a false object of worship, that, that object of faith becomes what you devote yourself to, devote your life to. You're going to worship you're going to worship that false idol. If money is all there is, you're going to worship wealth. If the physical is all there is, you're going to worship your body or other bodies or physical pleasure. If, if, if fame is all there is, you're going to worship popularity. And here's the final trick. What you worship is what you become. Ralph Waddle Emerson said, a man is what he thinks about all day long. Think about that. A man is what he thinks about all day long. A person is what they think about all day long. What do you think about? Jesus says, where is your faith? Whatever captures your devotion will shape your life. So I don't wonder if you have faith. I know you have faith. I wonder where is your faith? The disciples, they had faith in all kinds of things. Think about it. They had faith in the boat. It's a good boat. I'm going to get in that boat. They had faith in, uh, in their nautical expertise, right? Hey, Peter, you know how to drive this boat? I got it. They had faith in their own capabilities, their own resources. They had faith in the storm. What do I mean? They could see what the storm was going to bring before it brought it. That's faith. They had faith in the storm and what the storm was going to do. The disciples placed their faith in every single thing in that story except the one person, the one person, the only place that faith can ultimately rest, in Jesus. When your faith is in the wrong thing, your future is limited. So at the end, the great question that Jesus asked them leads them to a great question that they ask one another. You see it here. It's in this final verse. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Who is this? Who is this? Friends, I hope you more know this morning who it is. This is Jesus, and he's the Lord, and he's the only one worthy of your full devotion and faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the way that you ask these questions and, and rattle our cage and, and dislodge, Lord, these false places that we've, we've hung too much hope and too much faith. So, Lord, I pray for everyone here that we would know the freedom of putting our faith in you and you alone. Pray, Lord, that you would ask us these hard questions and rattle our, our hearts so that we can know that we're standing on a firm foundation, that our lives have been built on the rock of your grace and your goodness 
in your holy name. And it's in your name that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.